You are listening to Hit Play, Not Pause, a feisty menopause podcast for active, performance-minded women. I am your host, Celine Yeager. Each week, I bring you advice from athletes, scientists, researchers, and other experts to help you feel and perform your best, no matter what your hormones are doing. This show is a production of Live Feisty Media. Hello, strong, feisty women. Okay, so quick note on last week's episode on hormone therapy with the authors of Estrogen Matters. It sparked a lot of conversation, which I knew it would, and frankly, it's awesome to see. I love seeing all of you talking about the pros and cons and your experiences so openly with each other. That's how we learn. It's how we grow. It's women helping women, and it's awesome. A few of you have asked me in various forums and in my DMs, if doing that episode had prompted me to try hormone therapy, which I mentioned I have not to this point. And the answer is no. Again, it's not because I'm against hormones. I'm not. It's not because I don't believe in their benefits. I do. It's because I feel healthy and strong and happy. I have some hot flashes here and there, but nothing really disruptive. I feel good on my bike. I'm sleeping well. I have energy. I have strength. I feel like I'm in a good groove with my training and the supplements I do use, which include some of the adaptogens like ashwagandha and shisandra that Dr. Stacy Sims and I talked about on episode one of this show. I will say, yes, I am intrigued when I hear about the potential health benefits like decreased heart disease risk, dementia, osteoporosis, you know, all these benefits against these diseases that we worry about as we get older. But here's the thing. The vast majority of women are sedentary. Something like 23% of Americans meet the bare minimum exercise guidelines, which is really minimum exercise guidelines. So I, I just, I'm left wondering, would those women also enjoy those same health benefits if they started living a more active life? And would I get additional benefits by starting a hormone therapy regimen on top of my already healthy, active lifestyle. And the doctors last week made it pretty clear that we just really don't know that. So I don't know if if I'm honest, I'm not really motivated enough to go through the trial and error of starting a hormone therapy regimen. I might consider a local estrogen cream or ring someday for vaginal health, but the rest, I feel good where I am. And if I didn't feel good where I was, you would better believe I would be the first in line to explore hormone therapy options. And for me, that's the point of these discussions, giving us all the information we need to make educated, informed decisions for ourselves. And I'm so glad you all are part of that. All right, speaking of lifestyle decisions, this week I sat down with Dr. Melissa Sunderman, who is a double board certified internal medicine and lifestyle medicine physician. It's that lifestyle medicine part that we devote this show to. If you've been following the show for any length of time, you've heard an awful lot about how the foods we eat or don't eat, the exercise that we do or don't, and our lifestyle habits and behaviors can have a profound impact on how we experience the menopause transition and beyond. Lifestyle medicine is all about that. So I thoroughly enjoyed learning more about how we can improve our health and our performance on our well-being by focusing on the six pillars of lifestyle medicine that are nutrition, exercise, stress, substance abuse, or hopefully not substance abuse, sleep and relationships, all extremely important things to focus on during this time of life. Dr. Sunderman currently practices medicine at IHA in Ann Arbor, Michigan, and she is helping to launch a lifestyle medicine institute there. She runs, she bikes, she hikes, she skis, she has two college-age kids, two dogs, and she is very much one of us. She is a nine-time Boston Marathon finisher, a three-time full Ironman triathlon finisher, and currently training to run her 10th Boston Marathon this October at the age of 51, which is awesome. Anyway, you can learn more about her at ihacares.com. Just to note that we did this interview after some storms had raged through and her internet got a little shaky in spots. Apologies for that. It's not too bad. Just a couple of little shaky spots. Mother Nature clearly is not concerned about our Wi-Fi. Okay, before we get to the show, 
Quick weekly reminder to join us on our social media channels. You can find us at Feisty Menopause on Instagram and Facebook. We have a private Hit Play Not Pause Facebook channel, which is growing by leaps and bounds. You can come in, join our discussions, ask anything that's on your mind. And if you want to deep dive into all things active menopausal living, we have the Feisty Menopause Membership, where we offer in-depth materials, expert webinars, and sponsor discounts. You can learn all about that at feistymenopause.com. Also at feistymenopause.com right now, you can learn all about our awesome menopause summit that is happening in September, both a live edition and a hybrid edition. Check that out. Remember, I have an email. You've been using it. I love it. If you have guests, ideas, want to drop me a line, I am at hitplaynotpause at livefeisty.com. Finally, quick thanks for all the great reviews that keep coming and for sharing the show. It is helping us grow. So keep on keeping on. Keep hitting those stars, hitting those hearts, showing your love for the show in every way you can sending it to your friends, on and on and on. Thank you, thank you, thank you. It really is making a difference. Okay, enough of me. Quick word from our generous and awesome sponsors, and let's get on with this show. Women who ride bikes, and I am most certainly one of them, know that finding women's cycling clothing can be an exercise in frustration, right? And that's why I am so psyched that one of my favorite women-owned and operated clothing companies, Velarosa, has come on as a sponsor of Hit Play, Not Pause. Velarosa's kits feature bold, beautiful, colorful prints and patterns. And the collections, which I really love, are designed so you can mix and match the coordinating pieces to get more mileage out of your cycling wardrobe. Best of all, they fit like a dream. The chamois is super comfortable and perfectly placed. The yoga waistband hugs your midsection without digging in anywhere. And the leg bands are like 100% functional and flattering with no squeezy sausage leg effect that is a big nope for me. Whether you like to ride pavement, gravel, dirt, or your local trail system, Velarosa's got you covered beautifully. And now, thanks to their sponsorship, Hit Play, Not Pause listeners can get 15% off their first order at VelarosaCycling.com. Just enter the code HITPLAY, all caps, one word, at checkout. Again, that's VelarosaCycling.com, the code HITPLAY, for 15% off. So go get some sweet Velarosa Cycling clothing today. Like many of you, I try to eat well, train well, take the supplements I need, and track my recovery, sleep, and progress. So imagine my surprise when I found out I had elevated blood sugar, high cortisol, out-of-whack lipids, and was borderline anemic. Yeah, all while I was racing well and feeling actually pretty great. Turns out, all of my training stress was taking a hidden toll. How did I find out? Inside Tracker. Inside Tracker is a service that analyzes your blood, DNA, lifestyle, and fitness trackers to provide you a personalized, science-based, trackable action plan on how to live, age, and perform better. Inside Tracker is simpler, cheaper, and more convenient than traditional blood tests, and their blood tests also include biomarkers that are key to performance that you don't get from traditional blood tests like ferritin and vitamin D. My favorite part? They don't just give you data, they provide you with nutrition and lifestyle tips to take action. And I've taken those actions myself and have been improving those markers and ultimately my health. So for a limited time, my friends at Inside Tracker are offering my listeners 25% off their entire store. So go to insidetracker.com slash feistymenopause to take advantage of that offer. Again, it's insidetracker.com slash Feisty menopause, I can tell you, it works. I appreciated you reaching out to me. And, you know, quite frankly, I had never heard of lifestyle medicine as a, as a discipline. Like that was a new thing to me. I had to Google it. I had to look it up. 
And um, I'm quite sure that it's probably pretty new to a lot of our audience. And I guess, I, why don't we start there? Like, A, how long has this been around? And like, I know it revolves around six pillars and there's a whole philosophy behind it. So why don't we start there and just introduce the whole concept to people? Well, not only are you uh, as a non-physician uh, hadn't heard of it, there's many, most of my colleagues in medicine have not heard of lifestyle medicine. Um, and really how I came about it, let me just sort of give you a, a, uh, your listeners a little bit of my background. So I've uh, been practicing medicine for 23 years. So I've had quite a bit of experience. Internal medicine, correct? I, that's my board, uh, my original board certification. Now I am also board certified in lifestyle medicine. So I was I trained at the DO and um, DOs, we have a little bit more philosophy about the body as a whole. So just integrating. And that's always just been my interest. And so when I, I worked at the University of Michigan for a number of years, and during that time, I had the opportunity to do a faculty scholars program in integrative medicine. So I spent a year just looking at alternative ways of healing. And really what that did for me was open up my, my eyes to say, there's other ways than just conventional medicine. And, and it's about healing and it's about wellness. And then from there went on to do a professional training in mind body medicine through the center of mind body medicine with James Gordon, who's one of the leaders in that field. And again, just trying to add to my repertoire about how I can help my patients, um, putting this into my own life and just feeling like this is what wellness is. So fast forward, I have been working in pretty conventional uh, settings of medicine. I've been a hospitalist, so taking care of acutely ill patients. I've been an outpatient uh, treating uh, an internal medicine. We treat patients from about 16 up until you know, hundred year olds. So yeah. really trying to infuse what my own belief system was about healing and wellness. And, you know, I've been a avid exerciser as many of your listeners have, I tried to eat right and, and do the right thing. So I, you know, would try to tell that to my patients, but I didn't have any formal training in that, or didn't know that there was a body of medicine that actually put that as, as a vital importance. So my kids were heading off to college. I felt like I have a little bit more time to devote to my career. Like do I want to do an additional training? And so literally went to the computer and started Google searching and um, was typing in things like things that I like to do. So it was like wilderness medicine. It was mm. wellness medicine. And then all of a sudden this thing popped up that said lifestyle medicine. And this was probably about uh, three or four years ago. And I said, well, what is that? And went to the American College of Lifestyle Medicine. And it really felt like I was coming home. It was mm. finding a a collection of other individuals, other professionals that had evidence-based research to support what I always, my belief system, uh, not only for myself, but for my patients. And so I decided to become board certified in lifestyle medicine. Um, the, life, the American College of Lifestyle Medicine has been around, I think, close to 10 years, but okay. you know, there weren't many uh, individuals that were board certified. It just, people didn't know about it. Well, there's been a huge explosion. And so I became board certified in 2019. And I think at that time we had over 500 um, uh, provider practitioners. So physicians, nurses, uh, physical therapists, uh, PAs, NPs that became board certified. Since 2019, it's just grown exponentially. Um, and it, it really just for me has been the most rewarding thing I've ever done in my career. I feel like I truly have the tools to really help my patients. And we, we do, um, you mentioned we have six pillars of lifestyle medicine. And the whole philosophy of lifestyle medicine is that we now know that about 80 to 90% of our chronic diseases are lifestyle related. Um, yes, genes are important and, and genes uh, can lead to uh, a predisposition to chronic disease, but that we actually have control over this. And so we really focus on lifestyle medicine in uh, preventing, not only preventing chronic diseases such as blood pressure, cholesterol, diabetes, uh, coronary disease, even findings with, with Alzheimer's dementia, um, obesity, but also possibly reversing those. And for a long time, I was trained that certain chronic diseases were, were not reversible. Uh, type 2 diabetes, once you have it, you always have it. Well, we now know that that it is uh, reversible. So the six pillars of lifestyle medicine, number one is nutrition. And we do advocate for what I call a plant slant 
way of eating. So really trying to emphasize the role of fiber in our diet. And we can circle back because um, I know that the gut microbiome has been brought up in your podcast and we can relate to how that affects menopause. So really a fiber rich diet full of fruits and vegetables and whole grains and legumes, lentils and nuts and seeds. The second pillar is exercise. Uh, I don't think I need to, I think I'm preaching to the choir here with icy menopause uh, members and that exercise is so vital uh, to our physical health, our prevention. Um, and so I think that most of your listeners are probably doing a, a good job at that. The third pillar would be avoidance of risky behaviors such as tobacco, excessive alcohol, drug use. The fourth pillar would be the importance of sleep. And we're learning more and more about sleep, um, just how uh, it may be one of the most powerful pillars um, and all of the rewiring that does that goes on during sleep and, and how you know, we really need adequate sleep for our physical and mental well-being. The fifth pillar is the role of monitor our stress. We're trying to, we all have stress in our life and how we can work through that, how we can reduce it, how we can monitor it. Um, so whether that's through mindfulness or meditation or, or exercise, um, but really being mindful of our, our stress in our life. And the sixth uh, pillar would be the role of social connection. Uh, this has been very challenging in 2020 and even going to now is that we as human beings are social creatures and we need to connect, you know, whether that's with friends and family and, um, uh, you know, our, who you work out with, who you go to church with, we really just need that connection. And, you know, Zoom has been our God, you know, our, uh, it's been there for us during the pandemic, but we just really need the social connection. Um, I like to add on a seventh pillar that's not one of the uh, formal pillars, but very uh, near and dear to myself, and that's the role of nature and getting fresh air every day. I really feel that nature grounds us, and uh, I am a prescription for my patients oftentimes is I want you to get outdoors every day. And I live in Michigan. Um, and so that can be, and I know you live in Pennsylvania, that can be a little challenging, but what I tell my patients and one of my favorite quotes is there's no bad weather, just inappropriate clothing. So bundle up, you know, put your coat on, maybe put heating packs in your gloves and get outside and get that fresh air. Did you see the study that just came out about, um, they did brain scans. It was a study out of Berlin where they did almost 300 brain scans on a small group of people over a course of six to eight months. And they factored in everything from exercise to free time to, you know, nutrition. And the one thing that led to increase of gray, gray matter in part of the prefrontal cortex was outside exposure, wow. like any amount of outside exposure. In, increase the volume of gray matter in that portion of the brain. It was a really interesting study. That is really incredible. And whether it's any vitamin D to do with that, who knows? But I think that they 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 factored in kind of oh, everything. Okay. And that what they thought what they thought it was, because you know, of course they addressed that and I asked, was that fresh air that the indoor environment and this why you feel so much better when you open the windows like even mm -hmm. good indoor environments the air is not as good yeah. as yeah. outdoor environments and there's so much to be i mean there's so much that is yet to be studied about terpenes even in you know urban environments which are like essential oils that come from trees you know there's a there, there, there have been studies forest bathing is kind of one of those things in the study too so really interesting work so i i that's why I perked up when you said that. I'm like, I just wrote about this, like yeah. the importance of fresh air. I'm going to have to share that study with my patients because it's just, I try to, you know, get people to just get outside. And when you're outside, you tend to be more active. You tend to be more mindful. You're listening to birds. You're looking at flowers. You know, it just really kind of encompass a lot of those other pillars when, when you do get outside and get fresh air. So, so those are all, I mean, you know, and I'm sure you hear this all the time and it's true. Like, I mean, a lot of that is, is, traditional wisdom, right? I mean, all of these pillars are sort of grounded in a certain level of traditional wisdom. Um, what, what, I'm, what I'm curious really to talk to you about is, you know, many women in our audience have been mindful of, of many of these pillars, right? You know, they're mindful right. of, of sleep, they're mindful of, of nutrition, but the hormonal havoc of midlife can just send like a wrecking ball into our pillars, you know? So like what, 
like how can lifestyle medicine help protect and maybe, you know, reconstruct some of these pillars? Yeah, well, I'll give you an example. I, I saw patients all morning and um, I had a patient, oh, mid fifties and she had actually had a partial hysterectomy. Um, I can't remember why, but so she didn't know if she was in menopause because she doesn't have a uterus. She still had ovaries. So she had complaints of she's having problems, losing weight. She's feeling tired. She's feeling irritable. And so she came to me, we had said, uh, our nurse practitioner had ordered uh, blood work. And, um, so we were here to review her labs and sure enough, her follicle stimulating hormone and luteinizing hormone were elevated. Estradiol was uh, low. So suggesting you are perimenopausal, uh, postmenopausal. Um, and that probably explains the symptoms that you're having. And we got her reason why we had to talk, um, specifically was her cholesterol was through the roof. And she said mm-hmm. to me, I've never had an issue with cholesterol. And I said, oh, you know, things change, you know, when in it, I think Celine, you and I had talked to the other day, like it just seems to happen overnight, right? Like I'm 51, I'm going through this along with my patients and your listeners and things that just, I just took for granted, you know, it's like, boom, like hormones change and um, we're, we don't know what to do with that. Uh, so it's really, I think validating that these symptoms are real. Right. And I think that, I think that there's a lot of, uh, physicians and medical professionals that, you know, may just want to just treat the individual symptoms. Ah, okay. You can't sleep. Here's a sleeping pill. Oh, you know, cholesterol elevated. Here's a statin. Oh, you're anxious. Here's an SSRI. And I think, you know, the beauty I see with lifestyle medicine is, we listen to our patients. We, we spend, I've spent a, a lot of time just listening and counseling and that we really want to validate that these symptoms that you're having, they're real. Like I had a woman with palpitations, you know, last week. And I, I said to her, I think it's because you're going through menopause. And, you know, just to, to reassure that, uh, you know, this is, it is now we're all going to go through it as women. And so it's somewhat natural. And, there are some things we can do. I, you know, I maybe can't uh, fix everything, every symptom that you're having or correct it, but I really feel that optimizing our lifestyles can help with that. So what, you know, we talked about today in the visit was, you know, I said her, she doesn't have a history of heart disease. So I said, I'm going to give you, it's, I want you to pick what's best for you because as a physician, you know, I'm here to to guide you, but ultimately this has to be a partnership. So I said, I can search you on a statin and that will for sure bring down your numbers. I'm, I can almost guarantee that. Now there are, are some side effects from statins and you, you probably read about that. And she said, I have. And I said, or we can really think about optimizing your, your lifestyle. So we did talk about nutrition. Um, and I'm sure, you know, a lot of your listeners have, um, are, do a great job with this. They're active. So they're fueling their body and, you know, what we know more and more about is, is the gut microbiome. And, you know, I like to tell my patients, like we discovered the gut microbiome, I don't know, 12 or 13 years ago. And it's kind of like the first time someone listened, put a stethoscope to our heart and they heard something beating and they said, wow, I bet that's sort of important. <laughs> and, and I think the gut microbiome is what we're finding out is, Wow. I think that's kind of important and knowing that there's what 37 trillion organisms living in our gut microbiome with bacteria and fungi and viruses and archaea, which are these like prehistoric sort of creatures. (laughs) And that, that basically we're the, we're the host of our gut microbiome. I mean, there's more species in our gut microbiome than there are cells in our body. And you know, 70% of our immune system resides in our gut microbiome. So when we're talking about inflammation and cortisol levels and, you know, aches and pains, and, you know, I just don't feel good and, or I get sick or, you know, I, I have arthritis. And if we can improve our gut microbiome, I mean, we can improve our inf- overall inflammation in our body. And inflammation is not just aches and pains. It's you know, coronary artery disease, it's um, obesity, it's diabetes, it really affects inflammation affects all of that. And then to know that 90% of our serotonin receptors reside in our gut microbiome. Now serotonin doesn't necessarily cross the blood brain barrier, but there are other hormonal, you know, hormones that are, are sort of 
manufactured in the gut microbiome. So certainly that gut brain access is real, right? Mm -hmm, So, mm -hmm. you know, how do we nurture this gut microbiome? And really it's, it's fiber in our diet. And so really encouraging, like I talked before, a plant slant way of eating. Um, So I don't, you know, like to say good or bad foods, but I like to say, choose foods that have a lot of fiber in that. Mm -hmm. So, you know, to, you know, again, the fiber containing foods are going to be our fruits and our vegetables and our beans and our lentils, um, our whole grains. And so I tell whole grains, not Krispy Kreme donuts, not your muffin, you know, your quinoa, your bulgur, your brown rice, and then nuts and seeds. And so, you know, asking patients, like, how do you do on that? And they're like, oh, this patient today was like, I do a good job on vegetables, but not so much fruit. I like apples and that's about it. So really trying to empower and educate that, you know, trying to get more fiber in your diet. Um, and really it's about that diversity of plants too, right? So, you know, you could have, you know, we want to make sure we, we eat the rainbow is what we like to say. So eat the rainbow. Um, there's you know hundreds of plant varieties and really trying to get as many plants into our, um, uh, everyday uh, diet. And when I see patients, um, there's a lot of confusion out there about healthy diets, right. Or this diet or that diet and macros Mm -hmm. and, uh, and people are obsessed with protein. Um, and you know, as an active person myself and, and you too, we definitely, if we're an athlete, we need protein in our diet. Um, but I will have some very sedentary people who literally are so obsessed with protein and drinking their protein shakes, you know, three times a day. And so really trying to educate that for a normal, you know, non super active person, it's probably about 0.8 grams per kilogram. So when you're looking at a middle-aged woman who, who doesn't really not too active, you're looking at like 40 or 50 grams. Right. And I'll get some patients that are like trying to eat hundred grams. And I'm like, you're not going to become five or protein deficient. Like, unless you're, you're very, very sick, you know, chemotherapy or something like that, um, malnourished, you're going to get enough protein in your diet. So I say, you know, I've been practicing for 23 years now and I've never seen a protein deficient patient. I haven't seen a Kashi worker patient. Um, but what I see every day are patients who are fiber deficient, uh, probably about 95% of the population eating a senior American diet are fiber deficient. And knowing that, you know, really the goal for women is probably, gosh, at least 30 grams of fiber per day. And, you know, mm-hmm. closer to 40 would be optimal. And really most um, uh, Americans are getting about 15 grams of fiber t- per day. So that's really what I'm trying to advocate for is to optimize that gut microbiome. And talking specifically with, with menopause, um, there's actually a study that just came out um, from the Physicians Committee for Responsible Medicine. And that's headed by Dr. Neil Barnard, who is one of the pioneers of lifestyle medicine. Uh, Just a wonderful man, um, really dedicated to promoting health um, through the lifestyle pillars. And this uh, study is called the WAVE. So it's the Women's Alleviation of Vasomotor Symptoms. And they really were looking at, you know, hot flashes, but also um, psychosocial factors and, and sleep. Uh, so what they did with the study is a randomized controlled study. The control group just would continue on with the standard American diet. And then they asked the, uh, the research group uh, to focus on a very plant centric way of eating and also to consume half a cup of soybeans per day. And so this um, study went on for 12 weeks. And so the, the research arm, they were given actually a um, Instapot. So that's how they were told to prepare if they wanted to for their soybeans and ask, you know, half a cup every day and to sprinkle that on salads or however you want to eat it, uh, put in soups. Um, and the studies came out, this was just reported last week that they had an 84% drop in symptoms, which is pretty dramatic. Um, Celine, you had mentioned, I know you had read the study too, that also um, they had decreased their alcohol intake and that everybody did. So the control group did too. Yeah. Yeah. Cause, cause the control group I did, I, I wrote about this study cause I was kind of excited about it as well. Um, everybody was recommended if you dig into yeah. the methods to, uh, limit alcohol to maybe one or less, uh, units a day. And I, when you look at the results, like the control group also had a decrease in hot flashes and night sweats and the symptoms. And 
what we know about like alcohol potentially triggering, you know, especially if you're over like the alcohol is a little complicated when it comes to the vasomotor symptoms, when you look at the mm -hmm. research, but definitely too much seems to be like not a good thing when you're talking about hot flashes and night sweats. So if people were drinking a bit more and then all of a sudden they went down to like a very moderate light amount, that definitely would help too. Like Ab absolutely down. absolutely and and then you think about alcohol disrupting sleep and you know does that if you're having disrupted sleep are you you know is that revving up your hot flashes right so right. It, it was exciting news and i do um advocate for uh, my patients to include soy in their diet um so the other benefit of soy and there's a lot of confusion around soy right yeah what um, does and... good soy look like i'd love to hear you is it <laughs> so like is it just like pouring your glass of soy milk i mean I, like i look some, some of those soy milks and i'm like uh you know there's a lot yeah. there's sugar added there's this like what is like yeah. really good soy look like in the american diet like what do you look for in this right diet? so so let me back up and just say that you know there's so much confusion around soy and i have to admit like for the first i don't know 18 19 years of my career um, I sort of, you know, how do a, a lot of doctors for nutrition get their information from hearing it from media, right? Or uh, we don't, we get very little nutrition training in traditional uh, medical education, you know, still to this day, between four years of medical school and three plus years of residency, the average is about 17 hours of, of nutrition education, which is ridiculous, right? Yeah. And really, if I look back to my nutrition education, uh, that was spent on memorizing like biochemical pathways, like the Krebs cycle, and, right. and studying these like, vitamin C rickets disease and Kashi Warfer, which I've never, <laughs> ever, right. Right, right, exactly. Very, very, um, I have never seen that in clinical practice. So we really are just kind of winging it, right? Like I was an athlete. So I'd be like, well, this is what works for me. And so it wasn't until I took a deep dive studying for my, my, uh, lifestyle medicine board is there was a ton of nutrition education and, and I kind of was just flabbergasted <laughs> that I had never really learned the science behind this. So soy was one of those things that for years I said, well, if you've had a history of breast cancer, anyone in your family, you better avoid it because it's got estrogens. So I feel a little bit embarrassed, but it's like, you only know what you know, <laughs> mm -hmm, mm -hmm. that I was giving incorrect information. And what we now know about soy is yes, there's estrogens, but they're, they're phytoestrogens, they're isoflavones, phytoestrogens that bind to a different receptor than our endogenous estrogen. And what we know is that regular consumption of soy in our diet can reduce breast cancer incidence by about 30%. And if you've had breast cancer, it can reduce your reoccurrence by about 30%. And for men, regular consumption of soy is not going to cause man boobs. It really won't. I think mm -hmm. there's one key study where a guy was drinking like exorbitant amount of soy and consuming it. And he got a little bit of man boobs, but it's not going to cause man boobs. Um, but it causes about a 30% reduction in, in prostate cancer too. So, um, and soy is also in, in certain forms can be a good source of protein. So back to your question. Um, so I do advocate for a plant-based type milk, right? Soy being one of them. And some of the soy milks can be fortified with calcium. So they can be a good source of getting calcium in the diet. If you are plant-based or you don't consume dairy, um, but I really advocate for the minimally processed to non-processed. So we talked about soybeans from that study, edamame, tempeh, which is our fer fermented soybeans. So fermentation, you hear about this with, you know, kombucha and uh, sort of good for our gut microbiome and tofu. And if it is tofu, I do say to get organic tofu which is not expensive. You know, I go to, our, we have Kroger here, which is just our regular, it's not even, a, it's not a whole foods, right? I just go to Kroger and it's like $1.79 a block for organic tofu. So you do want to be, you know, careful to get organic sources of this. Um, but that uh, tofu is just a great source of getting soy for those uh, cancer protecting. And then for me, um, I am a, a plant strong uh, eating. So I use it as a good source of protein as well. Uh, so that is how I advocate uh, getting soy into your diet. And I do, I do recommend, uh, you know, regular consumption of soy. Regular consumption looks like every day. I tend to, I tend yeah. to, because I, I, and I like, you can ask my husband, like always in my, in our refrigerators, I have a tofu scramble already made up. So mm -hmm. it's, um, and it's, a, I treat it almost like my scrambled eggs. Right. And so I, 
they have a tofu scramble with turmeric and cumin, with their, which have anti-inflammatory properties. I might add some spinach and onion to give it more flavoring. And then I just keep a Tupperware of that and I sprinkle it on everything, you know, whether it's avocado toast or salads or on top of my sweet potato. So yeah, I, I don't think you need to overdo it, but, um, you know, just having a serving of soybeans or, or some kind of form of uh, soy daily is okay. We'll get back to the show in just a moment. But first, I want to share more exciting news, in case you didn't hear, about our Menopause Summit coming up this September. Along with our virtual summit presentations, there is going to be a live and in-person component in Boulder, Colorado. The live summit will run from September 23rd through the 26th. We'll have educational and practical knowledge sessions on all the topics you'd expect performance, nutrition, symptom management, mindset, hormones, and more, as well as a lot of fun outdoor activities like hikes, bike rides, swimming, trail runs, yoga sessions, and more. You'll also have the opportunity to meet up with experts with body work, bike fit, and of course, we'll have a few happy hours and meet and greets. And right now, for listening, you can get $50 off registration just by tuning into this podcast. That's right. Listeners of the show get 50 bucks off the live event. Just go to feistymenopause.com, click on the Menopause Summit tab in the upper right-hand corner, and use the coupon code HITPLAY, all caps. Again, $50 off the live event with the code HITPLAY, one, that's one word, all caps. If you can't join us live, totally get it. You can still come and buy tickets for the virtual summit and you'll get everything. In fact, everybody gets anything. Whether you come to join us in Boulder or you tune in to the virtual, everybody will have access to all the sessions that will be recorded, and you'll be able to view that content until the end of the year on December 31st. So go to feistymenopause.com, read all about our sessions and speakers, learn more, Come join us live, come join us virtually, whatever way you can. But if you're listening now and you want to come and spend some time with us in Boulder, live and in person, now is your time to get $50 off the registration. Hit play, all caps. I hope to see you there. Let's get back to the show. So I'd like to talk about the, the, um, the social, the arm of uh, you know the, the the community arm a little bit because one of the topics that came up you know it's interesting when I hear about the things that exacerbate menopausal symptoms and and one of them is actually adverse childhood experiences mm-hmm. um, you know and the the lingering effects of that and stress and and I'm I'm hearing you know from from you in lifestyle medicine that that those kind of elements can certainly help women in this time of life too, you know, like really, really focusing on community, really focusing on that, that, that they might not be, you know, because they've been so wrapped up in caring for everybody else. Yeah. And I think when you look at menopause, uh, we're such this sandwich, right. Where we maybe have kids who are sort of adulting, right? My kids are sort of, sort of mine's 19, (laughs) sort of, sort of maybe. (laughs) So not always. Yeah. Right. My kids are partially launched. They're in college, but yet they're sort of still on our paycheck and they're still, my 19 year old daughter calls me, you know, almost every day, like, you know, if there's a crisis, you know, and so, so they're trying to figure it out, but yet there's still kids. And then we have aging parents, right? Mm -hmm. So my parents are in my eighties and their eighties. I mean, knock on wood, they're doing well, but it's just so many of my patients going through menopause have so much stress, right? Because they're taking care of their aging parents and they're taking them to appointments. They're trying to work out legal manner matters. They're anticipating, you know, gosh, signing papers of living wills. And so there's really so much on our plate right now that just this underlying stress of kind of, you know, being pulled in multiple directions and knowing that self-care is so important in our middle age. I hate to say middle age because I think of myself still as young know, it's and a weird, it's a weird term know, at this time of life. Yes. <laughs> yes. In this time of life, because this is when chronic diseases tend to crop up, right? It's mm-hmm. like the first time that patients are told like today, my mid 50 patients, just like I've never had a cholesterol issue. So I hear that a lot. I hear that. A yeah. Lot. 
Mm-hmm. So it's coming to reality of like, oh, God, I, I really need to take care of myself. So getting back to the, the, the social pillar. Um, so I think you probably have a similar thing. So I like to run and really my tribe <laughs> tends to be my running girlfriends. And that has been so helpful to me because we're all going through menopause together and not, it, it normalizes it, right? It normalizes it. So when we talk on our Saturday morning runs, it's like someone's having such a happy period. They bled through the sheets, right? It's disgusting, <laughs> right? It was like, they're saying it was like a murder scene. Oh my yeah, God. Yeah. And then, and then someone else, you know, I'm talking and I'm like, my legs, like the skin on my legs is like, it's kind of just wiggly now. Like I always had these strong muscular legs and what's happened to the skin, you know, and another, uh, one of my running friends says, calls it the spread. She's like, my body is just spreading now, you know? And so I think it helps to have that support and normalize things, able to talk about all of, you know, these stressors and a, a tribe, a sense of belonging. Um, and, you know, talking about, you said brought up trauma and what I, I find is that, you know, patients, individuals who've gone through trauma early in life and maybe haven't um, dealt with it, have thought that they've moved past it. It manifests in a lot of ways. It manifests in addictions It manifests in overeating. It manifests um, in anxiety and depression. And, you know, then we see the aftermath of that, right? Um, Having an eating disorder, binge eating or emotional eating, compulsive eating leads to obesity, which can lead to hypertension and diabetes and and cholesterol, or it leads to excessive um, alcohol use or drug use. And so it really, you know, that early childhood trauma or or life trauma, whenever that happens, can really affect not only our mental health, but our physical health. Um, so when I am talking to patients about that pillar of social connection, it's, it's really trying to find like, where's your place of belonging. And, and for some people, they've got a great family life, right? So they get together with relatives on the weekends and hang out. Um, for others, it's like, what's, what do you like to do? You like to bird watch? Well, maybe you could right. find a group to go hike and go bird watching, or yeah. do you like to play cards or, you know, your fellowship in your, in your, um, place of worship, um, is important. Um, so we really need that sense of belonging. And I think that with the pandemic, I saw a huge uptick in anxiety and depression. You know, I, I absolutely did. And, and what I'm seeing now, I had a patient earlier today with, with anxiety and it was about anxiety about going back into the workplace, right? Like mm-hmm. now so many people have gotten used to staying at home that, oh, wow. Like I want to see people, but I haven't done it in so long that mm-hmm. I kind of, you know, I'm frightened to get back out there. So it, it really shows that just lack of social connection and then, you know, what that can do to us and the importance of it and just finding a way to do it. I, you know, I work a lot. I work full time. Um, so my, I'm not never been a lady who lunches, not that there's anything wrong with that, but it's just, um, so my social time has really been my workout time, whether, you know, I'm running or going for a bike ride or something like that. Um, it's really where I have that it's a priority for me. And then I find others who like to do that. And so you just gravitate to those, that, and, and that's really my social connection for the week is, is going on my group runs with, with my, with my gals and, um, and supporting each other through that. Yeah, no, that's, that's, that's awesome. I mean, I think that a lot of our audience will relate to that because, you know, and they have found, which has been wonderful to watch. They found a lot of community here, you know, they've found, they found community with each other. And like we just started, we started a, a private Facebook group, you know, to keep trolls out and make sure that everybody in it was legit. And we're over 6,000 people already, you know, it, it's just growing and growing and it, it's, yeah. uh, it's so supportive that it, it is. I'm a member of your group. And and I think that there, there is a lot of support where, you know, I think so many women are confused by their symptoms, you know, and it's like, there was, I think a post I was on there today and I could relate to in this, she was a runner and she's like, I went out for my run and like my body ached, you know? And I'm like, I can so relate to that. I used to be able to hop out of bed and, you know, go for a run. And now it's like two miles into my run. And I'm like, Oh, Oh, I think I'm moving forward now, (laughs) you know, and it's just like sort of, there has to be a a certain amount of acceptance. Um, You know, I'm not going to give in, I'm still going to go out for a run, but just acceptance that, okay, my body is changing and I'm going to do everything I can um, 
to keep myself well and do the self-care that I need to do, but also accept that, you know, things feel different and, and look different as well. So speaking of, I mean, you are, you, you've done all kinds of things. You, you, you ran a 304 at Boston marathon mm-hmm. and you finished uh, the lumberjack top, the top 10 at the lumberjack hundred mile mountain bike race and uh, broke five hours at Eagle man try, you know, so I, you know, you've, you, you've done a lot of things that our audience has done. What, what have you, what have you had to change yourself as you sort of entered this part? Like how, what pillars do you find yourself sort of reaching for and, you know, to, to keep yourself yeah. active and. Yeah, no, that's a great question. And, and those are my PRs and um, yeah, so I, I look back on those PRs and I think, wow, how did I do that? Right. Cause I, I understand. I understand. <laughs> yeah. I, I've got my Garmin on all the time. And I like to joke that my Garmin must be terribly off because I feel <laughs> like I'm still running what I used to run. And I'm like, God, that, yeah, that must be broken. Um, so one thing that I did end up changing, um, I've always, I think I've always eaten pretty healthy. Um, but I, I definitely, um, when I became board certified in lifestyle medicine, I am a strong um, believer in that you have to practice what you preach, right? Mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. if you're going to talk the talk, you need to walk the walk. So I did change my diet in the sense that I really tried to focus on getting a, a more plant slant way of eating. Um, and not that I ate a lot of you know animal protein, and that's fine. Um, but, um, and I, I still do, you know, on occasion, I'm not going to be stringent, you know, if when we were in Florida with friends and they had fresh caught fish, I'm like, okay, you know, that that's fine. Um, but what I have found in, I think, optimizing my gut microbiome and trying to get more fiber and fruits and vegetables and beans in my diet is that I have felt that my energy levels have been more consistent. Um, I think that most people know what that like three o'clock slump feels like where you're at work or wherever. And you're like, Oh my God, I think I like need a pickup of caffeine or I just need to take a little nap. I found that that's um, improved. Um, And then I think also recovery. And then I I say with a caveat, because I think as we've gotten older, recovery takes longer, but I think as I've worked to increase fiber, my diet, um, I really uh, feel that I'm able to recover more. Um, and I tend to be more of an endurance type of person. I've never been a, a fast twitch kind of person. So I'm able to sort of, you know, I training for the Boston marathon right now and, you know, have 20 mile run two weeks ago and another one tomorrow. So I feel like I'm, you know, able to sustain that. So I did sort of work to get a more fiber rich diet, um, mm-hmm. which I think has helped. The thing that I really, the exercise component there for me has always been there. It's like just what I need, right? It's just part of my lifestyle. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't really think about not exercising. I know that I have some friends that need to be signed up for an event in order to, to train. And I just know that my body and my mind needs movement. Um, so that for me hasn't really changed other than the fact that I, I just don't move as fast and that's okay. Um, I have really been working on my sleep hygiene. Um, I'm sure you're familiar with Matthew Walker and, mm-hmm. and his book, um, why we sleep. Absolutely amazing book. He's got a wonderful Ted talk and, um, he's, you know, done some wonderful podcasts. He did a, like a three hour podcast with rich roll, not in the uh, recent, um, and so much about sleep. I knew like we needed it. Like, yeah, we need to get, you know, whatever recommended seven to nine hours of sleep, but just all of the metabolic processing that goes on in sleep. And, you know, we're all used to, we all know about our lymphatic system, how the lymph system cleans out all of our toxins. And when we get sick, my patients get their lymph nodes and I say, Oh, that's just your body trying to, to, you know, treat the infection and your lymph nodes. Um, but what we now know is that the brain has the glymphatic system and it has when we sleep, it's, it's busy, right? Our brain is busy while we sleep, just trying to do all the repairs and the glymphatic system. We think that, you know, it helps to get rid of, of amyloid protein, you know, and the amyloid protein we we know is related to Alzheimer's dementia. So hearing that information and hearing um, Matthew Walker talk and just doing more research myself, you know, I'm one of those people that, you know, I work full time, I exercise, I had an active family, it was just kind of like, go, 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 go. And, you know, sort of priding myself on, oh, I don't really need a lot of sleep, I, I can just push through it. And that's 
not the case. Um, you know, we really, studies show that we really need seven, optimally at least seven hours of sleep at night. Um, and, you know, when we get less sleep, like there's a study that on a daylight savings time, when we lose an hour of sleep, there's something like a 20 20 to 25% increase in um, heart attacks going to the mm-hmm. emergency room just and car accidents, car accidents. Absolutely. You know, mm-hmm. we pull an all nighter and, you know, our, our response time is like that of a drunk person. Right. Yeah. And so really changing that tone, that voice in me that says, you know, I, I can do this. I can push through it. I don't need sleep. I really have been working on my sleep hygiene. Um, and my husband knows, like I get into bed and, you know, he's like, what are you doing? I'm like, I'm sleep hygiening. I can't, I can't talk <laughs> anymore. I'm sleep hygiening. Um, so, you know, really those ways to do that and you know, talking to my patients about sleep hygiene, you know, and it's, I think with our, our devices, right. That's one of our biggest culprits is that we feel like when we get into bed, we're relaxing by watching TV or scrolling on our phones and knowing that that blue light really, you know, even though you feel like, but no, the, the lights are out, you know, and what I'm reading is, is not stimulating my brain. It's relaxing. It's that blue light that goes into, you know, through our retinas, you know, to the pineal gland and, and affects our melatonin, right? So our melatonin is supposed to rise at night to help us sleep. And that blue light basically tells our brain, Hey, it's daytime. Right. Yeah. And so, um, uh, that in having consistent sleep wake times, right? So um, during the week when, you know, you're up late trying to, or you're, whatever time you go to bed, and then you've got to be up the crack of dawn. For me, it's, you know, I got, I want, I run before I go to work. So I got to be up early to run before I go to work. And then the weekends, it's really tempting to say, ah, oh, I don't have to go to work. I'm going to get some extra sleep. Um, but that's not good. Like we need consistency. So really trying to hammer home you know, in bed by 10, you know, I'm usually up by five, right? So get my seven hours and really being diligent about that. And, um, and again, like avoiding things like we talked about before alcohol, I mean, alcohol, we know that it, do- it doesn't really help any of the chronic diseases, or, you know, menopause symptoms, um, and it affects our sleep. Um, avoiding caffeine after about like one at night, or one at night, one in the afternoon. Um, really trying to sleep in a cool environment. Uh, we really need our core temperature to drop by a couple of degrees. Um, so that's, you know, when we, when we fall into sleep, our heat goes from our core out to our extremities. Right. And that's just the natural process. And that can be helpful for menopause, right. Of just trying to sleep in a cooler room. So maybe mm-hmm. help out with the hot flashes, um, you know, avoiding like late night eating things like that. I have patients who have reflux disease and gosh, if they eat at night, at night, they're up with, with bird. So really trying to instill those sleep hygiene habits into patients because it is work, right? It is work. And it's, it takes discipline to develop those habits and say, okay, just because I can't sleep until nine or 10 in the morning on Saturday, I'm not going to, (laughs) because I just really need that consistency. Um, and just knowing the vital importance of, of sleep and, and that can affect our menopause symptoms too, right. And our cortisol levels, um, if we're not getting adequate sleep, um, and restorative sleep. Um, so really emphasizing that. So, uh, really, been working on that pillar. Um, stress reduction is always, um, so, you know, a work <laughs> and mm-hmm. just that we've had, um, a year, like no other, um, I actually was redeployed to the hospital during COVID. So I, at one point in my career was a hospitalist. And so they were asking for volunteers to work the front line during COVID. So for, um, eight months, I was working the front line and all my PPE and, admitting COVID patients, you know, face-to-face and working, <laughs> talk about sleep hygiene. I, I was working um, the night shift, right? So sometimes wow. 6P to 4A, um, eventually I was able to wow. get on the 2, the 2 PM to midnight. So I could kind of still function the next day. Um, but really trying to, in very stressful situations to find ways um, to manage my stress, you know, and, and I always tell patients that we always have our breath with us, right? So no matter if you're in a a traffic jam, or you're in a a very stressful meeting, you have your breath, and teaching them about deep breathing. And some of the, the exercises that I demonstrate in my office, um, I don't know if you've heard of square breathing, what that is, 
I have not so heard square. I've heard many things, okay. but not square. So what yeah. is square? So square breathing, it's a good visual um, because okay. I can tell people take 10 deep belly breaths and they're kind of like, oh, okay, I don't know what that really is. But so square breathing, you imagine it, you're drawing an imaginary square. And so as your finger is going up, you're going to inhale. As your finger goes to the side, you're holding that inhale. As your finger goes down, you're exhaling. And as you're completing the square, you're holding it. So it really gets you to slow down of inhale. And I think that that visual um, helps patients. And then there's that I probably maybe have heard of the five finger breathing. Um, so, you know, you have you always have your hands with you. Um, <laughs> inhale, going up the finger, exhale, going down the finger. So really taking that time for 10 cycles of deep breathing lowers our blood pressure, lowers our heart rate, brings us uh, you know, back to the present moment. Uh, another thing that I like to, people get intimidated by the word meditation. They think that mm -hmm. uh, they've got to sit in a, in, a, uh, in a pretzel and recite a mantra. And it's just really intimidating for a lot of people. So for me, I say, you know, I'm all about mindful meditation and I am a strong believer in, in connecting with nature. I said, go outside. You're not going to put headphones in. You're going to go for a walk and you're going to focus on what sounds you're hearing. So you're just going to walk and you're going to listen. Are you hearing birds? Are you hearing traffic? Are you hearing rustling of leaves? And then switch your focus to what am I seeing? Am I seeing flowers in bloom? Am I seeing a dead tree? Am I seeing um, children playing? So really bringing that awareness to something. I mean, that's what mindfulness is, right? And John Kabat-Zinn uh, in some of his books, it's like he has a, an exercise where you're just washing the dishes, right? Yeah. And you're just going to bring your attention to washing the dishes, which sounds like, how could that be a meditation? Well, you know, what is it? The, what are the, the dish soap feel on your hands? What do the bubbles look like? How are they mm -hmm. changing? And so really finding practical ways to just be mindful mm -hmm. and be present and mm -hmm. get out of that spiral. Um, and we know that stress, you know, really chronic stress, obviously, uh, our brain doesn't know stress from being chased from a bear rather than, um, being stressed out at a meeting, right. Our cortisol right. levels will react the same way. So, and we know that chronic stress, um, uh, plays a, takes a toll on our bodies. And Elizabeth Blackburn, uh, had a, got a Nobel prize for doing a, a remarkable study with Dean Ornish and Dean Ornish is one of the sort of the godfathers of lifestyle medicine. And they looked at telomeres and telomeres are basically, you know, the shorter the, our telomere is like our, how old we are, right? Or it's the protective basic. ends of our DNA strands. Absolutely. Yeah. Right. And so as they get shorter, um, you know, that shows that we're, we're aging. And so they did a study where they, um, I think it was uh, women who were in very stressful situations. I think a lot of them had um, disabled uh, children that they, very, you know, just a lot of pressure. Anyone you know who's raised um, any child with a disability or a family member with a disability, it's just so much stress. And what they found is women in similar situations will cope with stress differently, right? Some will, I mean, just become completely incapacitated and um, cortisol levels are through the roof. And other women will say, okay, this is a situation that, you know, I have, but at the same time, I'm going to take a walk or I'm going to have a conversation with a friend. And they found the telomere lengths, right, were shorter in those women who really did not have ways to cope with their stress. So yeah. just the fact that, wow, we can affect our aging process and the length of our DNA um, just by how we manage our stress um, is mm -hmm. really important. So so in, in, the, in the realm of um, our audience specifically, I'm curious, mm -hmm. you know, I hear all these prescriptions, which are amazing because I think it does take a holistic approach to mm -hmm. sort of get all this in, in line is yeah. lifestyle medicine, um, agnostic on hormone therapy or, you know, where does that fall into? Yeah. Absolutely not. And I approach menopause the same way I approach my other chronic disease management. So when I introduce myself as a lifestyle medicine physician, I, I used to talk about the pillars and I say, it's not that I won't prescribe medication because absolutely there's a role for medication. Absolutely. But what I prefer to do is 
we're going to optimize your lifestyle behaviors. And if we optimize them within your own ability, right? Because not everyone is going to go out like you and ride it for two hours on a bike, right? I mean, yeah. it's just, and, and some people just aren't willing to change their diet or just don't have that ability to, you know, sorry, doc, I work two jobs. The only thing I can do is to go to fast food. Like we have to meet patients where they're at, right? So there is a, absolutely a role, I mean, for, for medication. And I feel the same way about menopause. Um, and, you know, we, of course, when I first started practicing medicine, people were on HRT, right? And then there's this health study comes out and we're like, whoa, right? And then we're like, oh, but that study was done on like 62 year old. We've had a whole show on it. Yeah. All the the problems with it. Yeah. Yeah. So whoops. And and it's, it's like soy, right. It's trying to reverse a myth right now. And so I think there's still, it's a lot of fear, not only around uh, my colleagues, but around patients, right. Cause that was out there big time, right. You're going to, you know, and, um, so knowing that and knowing that there are safer ways to, to use hormone therapy that, you know, within, you know, by before the age of 60 or within 10 years of your menopause, that's the safest time to initiate hormonal therapy. Um, trying to like, I will you use more estradiol, right. Rather than we first used to use Premarin, which I love the name of Premarin, how it got it right. Pregnant, pregnant mares, mares. urine. Uh-huh. <laughs> I know. I'm like, wow, that makes so much sense why they named it that way. Um, but knowing that that can be very effective. If I've, if I've got a patient who has got hot flashes and she's like, doc, I'm, I'm, I'm eating soy, I'm exercising, I'm sleeping, and I am incapacitated with hot flashes it's affecting my life. Well, of course, yes, there's a role for that. And, um, and I think it's just being mindful of treating patients as individuals, right. And not saying, no, I won't prescribe it. And, and some women will say, you know, I, I'm worried about the risks, right. And then it's just trying to present data uh, and evidence in a, in a clear cut fashion to educate and then leave that decision to, to my patients. Um, so yeah, hormonal therapy. And then, you know, there's some evidence that, um, some of the SSRIs, um, or Effexor could help out with some hot flashes. Um, so I do have some patients on that. Um, you know, but any medications do have side effects, right? So I think it's, again, it's that risk benefit. And, you know, if this it can improve your quality of life, um, then we need to do what's right to uh, treat you as an individual and, and make your quality of life better to get through this, this period. So absolutely. I think all of us in lifestyle medicine um, will say there is a role for medication. There absolutely is, but we want to make sure that we're optimizing the other pillars of lifestyle and, and at least educating patients that you have, you have some control about um, your health, right? right? And, and, and optimizing these pillars can, can make a change. You know, one of the things I love to talk to my patients about is, you know, I'll get patients that will say, well, doc, I'm going to get diabetes and blood pressure problems and cholesterol problems. Cause that runs in my family. And I like to say, well, that's true. I mean, genes run in your family, but so do lifestyles and be, and recipes, right? So recipes that, you know, you, every, you know, Friday, you go over to grandmother's house for her cheesy lasagna and her hot fudge Sundays. Right. So it's just saying, yeah, you know, sometimes you just, you grow, this is what, you know, this is the norm that we go out for fast food every, you know, Friday, or we, we go to fast food every lunch and that's just your lifestyle. So really trying to say you actually have more control over that. Um, and I think with, with menopause too, it's, we're all going to go through it. It's a natural thing. It's not a, uh, something we would choose to go through, but we all will go through it. And there's ways I believe we maybe can't eradicate all the symptoms, but we can try to minimize and, and best deal with, with the change of life that we're going through. I a hundred percent agree. So where would somebody find a lifestyle physician? So the, um, I would search the American college of lifestyle medicine. Um, there should be a database. Uh, there's getting to be more and more of us out there. Um, within my group. So I work with a large multi-specialty group. We're called IHA integrated health associates. We're located in Ann Arbor, uh, Michigan, Southeast Michigan area. And we have about 900 providers um, within our network. Again, multidisciplinary. We are blessed to have not uh, 
five of us who are board certified in lifestyle medicine. Now, that being said, probably in the state of Michigan, I'm going to say at the most, there's 10 probably board certified. So um, there's, there's not many of us out there, but the good news is more and more um, physicians are getting uh, board certified. So I'm going to the Lifestyle Medicine Conference in October. Uh, we're actually having a live conference in, in uh, Dallas and well over, gosh, I think it's up to like 1500 um, people are going to be sitting for the next board exam. So I think word is getting out that uh, there's another way to sort of change the paradigm of how we, we treat our patients and view medicine and try to get to the root cause. Um, so much of conventional medicine, what it's morphed into is just prescribing medications, right? A medication for your blood pressure and medication for your cholesterol, medication for your diabetes and a weight loss pill. And really what we need to do is get to the underlying cause. And a lot of it is our lifestyle behaviors. And so, um, you know, when I advocate for patients optimizing the pillars, it treats blood pressure, it treats cholesterol, it treats a lot of times anxiety and depression can improve. So I say, it's not, it's not a different way of living for each individual disease, right? You're, you're going to, if you optimize these pillars, I believe you can, you can help improve, you know, all of these chronic diseases. So I think it's really, um, trying to, to educate patients about that. And then trying to educate my own colleagues about that. We're launching uh, a lifestyle medicine consult service in our group, um, uh, as we speak. And what we're trying to get is other physicians to refer patients to us who have maybe uncontrolled diabetes or uncontrolled cholesterol, and they'll refer them to us. We'll work with the patients and then, you know, we'll send them back to their, their primary care physician. And hopefully the primary care physician will read our letters and say, wow, okay. I haven't really been talking to my patients about really about their diet or how to do it or how they move their body or how they sleep. So we're hoping that those physicians will see good results and then um, want to learn more about what we're doing and how we're approaching medicine. Excellent. Well, I thank you for your time. And uh, I, I think that there's a lot here that women specifically in this time of life can benefit from. Well, it's been a pleasure speaking with you and I love what you're doing. I love being a member of your group. Um, so <laughs> keep up the great work. <laughs> keep up the great work. Keep being feisty. Well, that's our show. Come back next week for my conversation with licensed psychologist, Dr. Alicia Brose. We explore how cognitive behavior therapy and other therapies can have huge positive benefits for menopausal women. And we also explain just what those therapies are and how you can incorporate them into your life. So you won't want to miss that one. Until then, as always, stay feisty. listening to Hit Play, Not Pause, a feisty menopause podcast for active, performance-minded women. I'm your host, Celine Yeager. The show is edited and produced by the strong, talented, and amazing women at Live Feisty Media. Follow us on social media at Feisty Menopause, and please help us spread the word. Screenshot and share this episode on your social media channels with the tag at Feisty Menopause. Share the show with your friends and please subscribe, like, review, and rate this show wherever you get your podcasts. Word of mouth and good reviews make it easier for other listeners to find. Thanks for listening, and as always, stay feisty. Stay feisty.